Hello everyone. My name is Shiva and I will be reading the book of Charles Darwin's The Origin of Species. Origin of Species Introduction When I was on board HMS Beagle as naturalist, I was much struck with certain facts in the distribution of the inhabitants of South America and in the geological relations of the present to the past inhabitants of that continent. These facts seem to me to throw some light on the origin of species, that mystery of mysteries, as it has been called by one of our greatest philosophers. On my return home, it occurred to me in 1837 that something might perhaps be made out of this question by patiently accumulating and reflecting on all sorts of facts which could possibly have any bearing on it. After five years work, I allowed myself to speculate on the subject and drew up some short notes. These I enlarged in 1844 into a sketch of the conclusions which then seemed to me probable. From that period to the present day, I have steadily pursued the same subject. I hope that may I may be excused for entering on these personal details as I gave them to show that I have not been hasty in coming to a decision. My work is now nearly finished, but as it will take two, me two or three more years to complete it, and as my health is far from strong, I have been urged to publish this abstract. I have more especially uh, been induced to this as Mr. Wallace, who is now studying the natural history of the Bali archipelago, has arrived at almost exactly the same general conclusions that I have on the origin of species. Last year, he sent me a memoir on this subject with a request that I would forward it to Sir Charles Lyell, who sent it to the Linnaean Society and it is published in the third volume of the journal of that society. Sir C. Lyle and Dr. Hooker, who both knew of my work, the later having read my sketch of 1844, honored me by thinking it advisable to publish with Mr. Wallace's excellent memoir, some brief extracts from my manuscripts. This abstract, which I now publish, but must necessarily be imperfect. I cannot here give references and authorities for my several statements and I must trust to the reader responding some confidence in my accuracy. No doubt errors will have crept in, though I hope I have always been cautious in trusting to good authorities alone. I can here give only the general conclusions at which I have arrived with a few facts in illustration, but which I hope in most cases will suffice. No one can feel more sensible than I do of the necessity of hereafter publishing in detail all the facts with references on which my conclusions have been grounded, and I hope in a future work to do this, for I am well aware that Scarcely a single point is discussed in this volume on which facts cannot be adduced, often apparently leading to conclusions directly opposite to those 
at which I have arrived. A fair results can be obtained only by fully stating and balancing the facts and arguments on both sides of each question, and this cannot possibly be here done. I much regret that I want of space prevents my having the satisfaction of acknowledging the generous assistance which I have received from very many naturalists, some of them personally unknown to me. I cannot, however, let this opportunity pass without expressing my deep obligations to Dr. Hooker, for who for the last 15 years has aided me in every possible way by his large stores of knowledge and his excellent judgment. In considering the origin of species, it is quite conceivable that a naturalist reflecting on the mutual affinities of organic beings, on their embryological relations, their geographical distribution, geological succession, and other facts might come to the conclusion that each species had not been independently created but has descended like varieties from other species. Nevertheless, such a conclusion, even if well-founded, would be unsatisfactory until it could be shown how innumerable species inhabiting this world have been modified so as to acquire that perfection of structure and co-adaptation which mostly justly excites our admiration. Naturalists continuously refer to external conditions such as climate, food, etc. as the only possible cause of variation. In one very limited sense, as we shall hereafter see, this may be true, but it is preposterous to attribute to mere external conditions the structure, for instance, the woodpecker, with its feet, tail, beak, and tongue so admirably adapted to catch insects under the bark of trees. In the case of mistletoe, which draws its nourishment from certain trees, which has seeds that must be transported by certain birds, and which has flowers with separate sexes absolutely requiring the agency of certain insects to bring pollen from one flower to the other. It is equally preposterous to account for the structure of, paras of this parasite with its relation to several distinct organic beings by the effect of external conditions or of habit or of violation of the plant itself. The author of The Vestiges of Creation would, I presume, say that after a certain unknown number of generations, some bird had given birth to a woodpecker and some plant to the mistletoe and that these have been produced perfect as we now see them, but this assumption seems to be, to be no explanation for it leaves the case of these co-adaptations of organic beings to each other and to the physical conditions of life, untouched and unexplained. It is therefore of the highest importance to gain a clear insight into the means of modification and co-adaptation. At the commencement of my observations, it seems seemed to me probable that a careful study of domesticated animals and of cultivated plants would offer the best chance of making out this obscure problem. Nor have I been disappointed in this and in all other perplexing cases, I have invariably found that our knowledge, imperfect though it be, 
of variation and domestication afford the best and safest clue. I may venture to express my conviction of the highest value of such studies, although they have been very commonly neglected by naturalists. From these considerations, I shall devote the first chapter of this abstract to variation under domestication. We shall thus see that large amount of hereditary modification is at least possible and what is equally more important, we shall see how great is the power of man in accumulating by this selection successive slight variation. I will then pass on to the variability of species in a state of nature by I shall unfortunately be compelled to treat this subject far too briefly as it can be treated properly only by giving long catalogues of facts. We shall however be enabled to discuss what circumstances are most favorable to variation. In the next chapter, I, the struggle for existence, almost all organic beings throughout the world, which inevitably follows from the high geometrical powers of increase, will be treated of. This is the doctrine of Malthus, applied to the whole animal and vegetable kingdoms. As many more individuals of each species are born than can be possibly survive, and as consequently, there is frequently recurring struggle for existence. It follows that any being, if it vary, however, slightly in any manner profitable to itself, under the complex and sometimes varying conditions of life, will have a better chance of surviving and thus be naturally selected. From the strong principles of inheritance, any selected variety will tend to propagate its new unmodified form. This fundamental subject of natural selection will be treated at some length in the fourth chapter and we shall then see how natural selection almost inevitably causes much extinction of the less improved forms of life and induces what I have called divergence of character. In the next chapter, I shall discuss the complex and little known laws of variation and of correlation of growth. In the fourth succeeding chapters, the most apparent and gravest difficulty of the theory will be given, namely, first, the difficulties of transitions or in understanding how a simple being or a simple organ can be changed and perfected into a highly developed being or elaborately constructed organ. Secondly, the subject of instinct or the mental powers of animals. Thirdly, hybridism or the infertility of species and the fertility of varieties when intercrossed. And fourthly, imperfection of the geological record. In the next chapter, I shall consider the geological succession of organic beings throughout time in the 11th and 12th and the geographical distribution throughout space in the 13th. The classification of mutual affinities both when mature and in an embryonic condition. The last chapter, I will give a brief recapitulation of the whole work and a few concluding remarks. No one ought to feel surprised at much remaining at, as yet unexplained in regard to the origin of species and varieties. If he makes due allowance for our profound ignorance in regard to the mutual relations of all the beings, which live around us.
who can explain why one species ranges widely and is very numerous and why another allied species has a narrow range and is rare. Yet these relations are of the highest importance for they determine the present welfare and as I believe the future success and modification of every inhabitant of this world. Still less do we know the mutual relations of the innumerable inhabitants of the world during the many past geological, geological epochs in its history. Although much remains obscure and will long remain obscure, I can entertain no doubt after the most deliberate study and dispassionate judgment of which I am capable that the view which most naturalists entertain and which I formerly entertain namely that each species has been independently created is erroneous. I am fully convinced that species are not immutable but that those belonging to what are called the same genera are linear descendants of some other and generally extinct species. In the same manner as the acknowledged varieties of any one species are the descendants of that species. Furthermore, I am convinced that natural selection has been the main but not exclusive means of modification. With this, we end the introduction and next time we will do the first chapter. Thank you.